Amen. Good evening and welcome to tonight's Midweek Bible Study. I trust you all doing well now. Our week has been good so far. Uh, let's just start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to your people. Pray that uh, let there be illumination, let there be understanding. The Holy Spirit be the inspiration behind tonight's teaching. And I pray that may your word come with it, its accompanying power of transformation, that our hearts and our minds will be affected. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we have a very interesting topic. Uh, when I had this impression to teach this topic, I, I felt some kind of way, I'll be honest to you. <laughs> but it's always good to obey God, isn't it? So let's, let's flow. We are we are gonna we are gonna um, um, look at a series at our midweek Bible study called Understanding the Kingdom of God from Parables. Understanding the Kingdom of God from Parables. So um, there are two keywords in the topic that needs to be defined very well before we can even broach the subject further: Kingdom of God and Parables. So what's the meaning of the word a parable? A parable is a dark scene, right? So a, a parable can be a figure of speech or uh, some people will say idiomatic, ex idiomatic expression if I'm right or something of that sort, some, something like that. Um, it's a story, either fiction or non-fiction, to convey home a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is for. Even in the Old Testament, you realize that People spoke in parables. Uh, if you read Psalm 78, so let's go to Psalm 78, a typical example of that. Psalm 78. Now, this is written by a man called Asaph. This is his um, psalm. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. So he explained, he went ahead to explain what a parable is. A parable is a dark saying, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come to the praises of the Lord. So, um, a, a, a parable was a very common thing among um, Jewish people. And a, a, par a parable is always used as some sort of a digression to bring home a point. Amen. So now, uh, that's what a parable is. Now, what was the purpose of a parable? There has to be a purpose why Jesus decided to use parables. You know, he coded a lot of his main messages in parables. So go with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Let me see how much battery power do I have here. Okay, 58%. Mark chapter 4, from verse 10. So we will come to one of these parables. Mark chapter 4, 
So from verse 1 to verse 9 is the content of a parable, one of the parables Jesus said. But I want us to look at the purpose of parables, why Jesus decided to use parables. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So that's the reason why Jesus decided to <clears throat> quote his messages and parables. <clears throat> I must admit, since I became a Christian, I think it was one of the most difficult scriptures I tried to understand. I'm like, why would Jesus? Because you came as Lord. You came to die for the sins of the world. You brought a message. So now, why are you saying that? That the reason why you are coding your message is because you, you don't want people to perceive. You don't want people to understand because if they do, they will turn away and then their sins will be forgiven. Isn't that why you came? But I believe the reason why Jesus decided to quote his message was Jesus didn't want salvation to come through a story. He wanted salvation to come through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We've done the book of John. We've looked at the emphatic sayings. Jesus wanted people to rather see him as the central plan of salvation. He is the focus through which one can come to salvation, not through a story, which could be fiction or non-fiction. So he was saying that for you guys who are in, you are part of me, you are part of my food, you are my disciples. I preach in parables or I narrate what I say in parables so that to you, the kingdom of God is revealed. The mystery, the aura that surrounds the kingdom of God is revealed. But to those who are outside, it has to be in parables. Otherwise, when they are able to perceive and they are able to understand, their sins will be forgiven them. Jesus didn't want a parable to be the reason why people will be saved. And mind you, Jesus had not died. It is him dying, him taking the sins of the world, going onto the cross, dying, shedding his blood, is what brought forgiveness of sin, not a parable. Because if the people would have understood this message and they would have repented, if Jesus had died on the cross, they would, they would have seen no need to repent, especially knowing the Jewish who are always very hard of heart and slow to believe. Just like Jesus rightly said, they are hard of heart and very slow to believe. So this parable, the, the kingdom of God, if they had understood the kingdom of God, it would have been a hindrance for them to have received the redemptive work of the Son of God. And that's what Jesus came for. Jesus came to redeem us from the sins of this world. And he came to do that by laying down his body. Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says, a body that has prepared. It was the body. He came to lay down, died, 
And then his body became the atoning sacrifice for us. It's not a story. That is not why we will have to repent. It is because we believe in Jesus Christ, who is the sacrificial lamp of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. It's because of him. That's why we are forgiven. So it's it's for a reason why Jesus decided to use parables. I hope we are clear. So now, when we go through the teachings, we are going to look at many of the parables and, and why Jesus will decide to quote his message to his audience. But in there are deep spiritual truths. Also, you also have to understand that the dispensation of the Holy Spirit was not there. So that would have also been a bit much for them. You, you can't really decode spiritual truths without the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you can only judge things. It says he that is spiritual can judge things that are spiritual. And now these people don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is giving them such a heavy truth. It, it will even make it impossible for them to understand and discern the truths that are in it. And that's why even Jesus, many of the things that he wanted to tell the disciples, he always told them, you can't handle it now. I can't tell you now, but in due time, I'll tell you. And he did tell them. He told them through the apostles who wrote the epistles. So everything that Jesus was talking about, justification, righteousness, all the blessings of the new creation or new creation realities, he could not really tell them when it was on this earth because the dispensation of the spirit had not yet been poured upon mankind. So Jesus had to really code many of his messages so that it will help us so that we could receive the first things first and then after we have received what is the primary thing that he is the son of God he is the sacrifice he is the redemptive work of the Lord that has been on the cross to shed himself and make himself of a lamb sacrifice for the sins of the world then now we can move on to other matters like unveiling and understanding the kingdom of God. Amen. So if you look at the parables carefully from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus only had one story or one revelation, and that was the kingdom of God. So look at Luke chapter 4.
Luke chapter 4, from verses 42 going. So now, if you know the story carefully, Jesus had finished the fasting and the period of 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible lets us know that the devil came to tempt him. And from there, he went to the synagogue, opened the scripture, Isaiah chapter 61, where it talks about the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He read that scripture and he told them that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And henceforth, he began his ministry right in Galilee. So he started preaching. And then he made some very important statements when he was in Galilee. So verse 42, the last two verses, verses 42 to 44. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose... I have been sent. Now, how did he preach the kingdom of God? He preached the kingdom of God basically in parables. That was the truth he had to code with a parable. That was the truth he had to use a dark saying to convey. And then we read the purpose for why Jesus had to do that. So when Jesus came, he had one message, the kingdom of God. So now it moves us to our next question. What is the kingdom of God. So now we've, we've now defined what a parable is, what the purpose of a parable was in Jesus' ministry. Now we are looking at what is the kingdom of God. I know I know. I, as I was teaching, some people just joined. So let me just make sure we understand. Are we on the same page? So now when we talk about a parable, do we understand the parable? Do we understand... Um, the essence of why Jesus had to use a parable to convey his truth. Amen. All right. Well, there is silence, so I want to believe we understand. So now the next question is, what is the kingdom of God? Jesus said that I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities for this reason or for this purpose. I have been sent. That's what Jesus said. So now, what is the kingdom of God? Now, the kingdom of God is, is sort of a very broad thing to define. It was for you to understand the kingdom of God carefully, which mostly included, what it, largely that was the content of Jesus' message. You have to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke carefully and read the parables carefully. Where, but when you... Put it in a nutshell, the kingdom of God is basically talking about a culture that God reigns supreme as king. That's why it's called the kingdom of God. So Matthew particularly interchanges it with the kingdom of heaven. They are both the same. You know, so when you read about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, particularly in the book of Matthew, it's not really talking about a place, heaven. It's just interchanging it with the kingdom of God. So when we go through the parables, it's the say things like the kingdom of heaven is like unto, the kingdom of God is like unto, they're both the same. The kingdom of God is talking about a culture that God reigns supreme as king. 
So what was the kingdom of God really about? The, the, kingdom, the kingdom of God was just about day-to-day living. What is expected of people who call themselves Christians? What is expected of people who say Jesus is their Lord? The lifestyle that we live, it's called the kingdom of God. It's culture. Do you understand? I, I've forgotten all my definitions in school. I remember at school, we had so many definitions. I remember only one definition called culture. They say culture is a way of life. It's the simple definition. So culture really addresses the nitty gritties of a person's makeup. It breaks it down to who you are. Basically, language, what you eat, clothing, etc., name. All this constitutes culture. And that was what it was all about. So a typical example of a kingdom of God message is in Matthew chapter um, 5. So verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. So everything Jesus spoke about was about culture. It's called the kingdom of God. So Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, according to your culture, according to what was written by Moses, who is your father. He said, You shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That was a Jewish culture. I love my neighbor, I hate my enemy. That's my culture. And it's my culture because I have learned that from the law of Moses. That is what forms my culture. But now, look at what Jesus is saying. But I say to you, but my culture which is called the kingdom of God, says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So this is one of it. This is what is called the kingdom of God. He addresses cultures. In your culture, where the law was handed over to you by Moses. He says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You love your neighbor, you hate your enemy. But in my culture, I say to you, you don't, excuse me, you don't just love your neighbors, but you also love your enemies. You go a step further. You go a step further now by blessing those who curse you. In your culture, you curse those who curse you. In my culture, you bless those who curse you. In my culture, you do good to those who hate you. In your culture, you hate those who hate you. In my culture, I pray for those who spitefully use me and persecute me. In your culture, it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So if someone spitefully use you and persecute you, 
you have a right to vengeance. But that is not my culture. My culture is different. If you really want to consider yourself a son of my father in heaven, where God really reigns supreme in your life, you will have to come to my culture. So what Jesus came to do was just to change cultures. And, you know, Jesus being a good teacher too, I think he was also looking at the environment of his day. He had to relay the message to them in the kingdom of God format for the people to understand because know that during this time, the Jewish people were under Roman kingdom. They were under a kingdom. The Roman Empire at that time had become one of the strongest and most fortified and, you know, um, strongest kingdoms that had ever risen. You know, it was said that during the 400 year silent period, you know, between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years. It was said that in 400 years was the beginning of the Roman Empire, their ascent. They actually overtook Babylonian Empire. So they were very strong. So Israelites at that point, they understand Roman kingdom. They understand colonization. This is where, you know, kingdom also comes from the word colony. This was where it started from. So the Jewish people at that time, even though they were Jews, they were under Roman captivity. They, they used Roman currency. They dressed like Romans. They spoke like Romans. They began to have Roman culture. And Jesus is talking to them about another kingdom. That's the kingdom of God, not of earth. So when, when you come into this kingdom, just as you have adopted the Roman culture, you also have to adopt heaven's culture, heaven's way of doing things. How you talk, how you behave towards your enemies. What you see my father doing, that is what you do, just like the Romans. So he had to present the message to them in their current context that they will understand. Maybe if Jesus Christ should have come today, maybe he would have used a different word. I came to preach to you about government, maybe something like that. But he wanted to use a word that they were really familiar with and something that was basically on the ground for them to easily assimilate. So I hope you understand. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about culture, a way of life where God reigns supreme as king. So that's the kingdom of God. Amen. Okay. So now the parables are in four parts. I actually learned this particular grouping and I, I believe that it's a very good one. So I'll borrow this one. I learned this grouping from one great theologian called John D. Barry. So he says that the parables are into four parts, which I think is very good. So I think with that, it will be easy for us to go through it and assimilate it. So the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about is into four parts. Part one is about the kingdom take roots. The kingdom takes roots. So what does it mean about the kingdom takes roots? So now when we go through eight parables, it will explain that part two the, the next set of parables deal with the kingdom 
is present with us. The kingdom is present with us. So the first part is the kingdom takes root. The second part is the kingdom is present with us. Part three, the kingdom comes alive in us. The kingdom comes alive in us. And part four, the kingdom transforms our world. So just look at the progression. Before the kingdom of God can transform our world, it has to come alive in us. It has to come alive in us. We are called to also preach the kingdom of God, heaven's way of doing things, heaven's culture. But before we can talk to people about a different culture, whose maker of that city is God, before we can talk about that, it has to come alive in us. Before it comes alive in us, it has to be present with us. We have to know this kingdom. We have to know God. We have to know Christ. Because when you are talking about Christ, you can't separate Christ and the kingdom. Christ is the kingdom. You've got to know him. And before you know him, it has to take root. This is where the Bible comes about. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It takes roots because you heard the word of God. It takes roots. So it, it, the, part one talks about the kingdom takes roots. Part two talks about the kingdom is present with us. Part three talks to us about the kingdom comes alive in us. And part four talks about the kingdom transforms our world. So every, everything that we are going to talk about in the subsequent weeks is going to deal with the kingdom it has to do with culture, a way of life. So Jesus, when he came on this earth, when he said, I've come to preach the kingdom of God, it's for this purpose that I've been sent. He came to introduce to us a new way of life. You are Jewish people, you are now living like Romans. But I came because you are under Roman sovereignty, under the Roman kingdom. But I came to introduce a new way of life called the kingdom of God. Instead of you living like a Roman, talking like a Roman, paying taxes or tribute to the Roman emperor, I also came to talk to you about something higher than living like a Roman. It's called the kingdom of God. Oh, my father loves, so you will have to love. My father forgives you will have to forgive. And the point of reference that you will need to be able to change your life is the word of God. But you can't, the word cannot come alive until you accept me, who is the king of the kingdom. Amen. So like given nationalities, we are able to define them by their culture. They are able to know who an American is because of culture. Americans like beggars, that's a culture. Americans like wearing jeans and sneakers, that's a culture. You are able to know that. You are able to know a British man by culture. They like drinking tea, something they do. They like to be properly dressed in formal attire. That's a culture. You know that. So 
each and every nationality has peculiarities that makes them stand out because of culture, a way of life. Now, Christians, what makes us stand out is the kingdom of God. Amen. All right, so I'll stop for now. Do we have any questions, contributions? I wanted the first week to be very interactive. So if you have any questions or contributions, the floor is open. And then once I start to delve deeper, I'm just going to ref the pedal. Amen. So who has any question or contribution is more than welcome. So do you understand what a parable is? All right, let's look at the first one, Matthew chapter 9. So there are some places you will see that, and he spoke to them in a parable saying, but there are some places he doesn't say that, but it's still a parable. All right, so this one is the first recorded parable of the Bible. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, and both are preserved. Amen. So, 
I believe that the scripture appears again. In Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. So sometimes to understand the parables, it's better to read everywhere that it appears. Amen. So Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So you see that the Matthew's account, Matthew omitted the parts. What made the Pharisees ask the question was they had observed John's disciples fasting. Correct? Matthew did not really talk about that. So the Pharisees asked the question based on observation. They saw that the disciples of John fasted often. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wines must be put in new wineskin. Amen. Now, let's look at the last one. Luke chapter 5, verse 33 to 39. So same scripture. So then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees? But yours eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast whilst the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. So verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them. So you see that it's a parable. Yeah, so Matthew, Mark didn't call it a parable, but Luke called it a parable. So it's a parable. Then he spoke a parable to them. And what's a parable? A parable is a dark saying. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also, the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put in new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So that doesn't happen. Nobody will ever taste something old and compare it to the new and say old is better. Nobody does that. Amen. So now, this is basically about fasting. And in the Old Testament, the, you know, there were many purposes of fasting. But the chiefest purpose of fasting in the Old Testament was to ask God for forgiveness of sins. 
it was a time of repentance. It was a time of mourning. So when the people asked Jesus about, why is it that we don't see your disciples fast? Jesus, who is the savior of the world, said that, why do they need to fast? When you are friends of the bridegroom, while the bridegroom is there, what's the point? It's a time of merrymaking. By Jesus saying that, Jesus was inferring that it's a season of good news. Remember when Jesus came, he, say, he says in, John, in Luke chapter 4, verse 19, he says that I came to proclaim to you the acceptable year of the Lord. What made it the acceptable year of the Lord? He was there. Acceptable year of the Lord means that as far as I'm there, I am there to forgive people of their sins. You can receive direct forgiveness of sins from me. There's no need to fast. And now, especially if you read Mark chapter 2, Jesus had just forgiven the paralytic. Mark chapter 2, that story talks about the four friends who dumped the paralytic man in front of Jesus. And before Jesus healed him, Jesus says that, let me show you that I have power to forgive sins. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed the man. He had just forgiven the man. So Jesus was showing that the acceptable year of the Lord has come. You don't necessarily need to fast. You don't, you don't need to mix Old Testament practices with what God is bringing into the system through me. That's the new covenant of grace. So Jesus was talking about do not cross dispensations. You can't put old wine into new wine skin. And you can't put new wine into old wine skin. You either put old wine into old wine skin, new wine into new wine skin. Don't mix the practices. And Jesus says that when I'm gone, then they will fast. Because the disciples had easy access. And truly, when Jesus left, the disciples fasted. There is a record that they fasted. They fasted to him for direction. Now, when they had this same Jesus with him, they never asked him for direction because he was right there and then. He was right there. He could give them answer. He had close proximity with them. And Jesus was saying that the dispensations have changed. Under the Old Testament, one fasted because of forgiveness of sins, because of repentance because of contrition but when one receives christ as his lord and personal savior one doesn't necessarily has to go on a fast to experience forgiveness of sins you can go to christ who forgives sins and christ showed out through the scriptures when he was on earth that he had power to forgive sins so now that practice has changed. You are now fasting for a different reason. Jesus says, Jesus never even outlawed fasting. He just said that the friends of the bridegroom are there. It's time to rejoice. But when the bridegroom leaves, they will fast. So Jesus was not attacking fasting. He was just attacking the motive 
and the purpose for why they fast. Jesus says that I came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord simply means that it is a season whereby God has reconciled the sins of the world to himself. That is the meaning of the acceptable year of the Lord. And if Jesus has come, that Old Testament practice of fasting for forgiveness of sins has to cease. Now, when you fast, you fast for a different purpose. So now let's look at an instance in the Bible where the disciples had to fast. Go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13. Now, these disciples who are close proximity with Jesus, these are half of the scene. And Jesus says that when the bridegroom is no longer there, they will fast. So now, look at that fulfilled in scripture, Acts chapter 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger or Niger, Lucius of Cyrene or Siren. Most people say that these people were blacks. Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch as Saul and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, and they sent them away. So this was one of the instances where the apostles fasted. So it wasn't just the prophets and teachers who were fasting. The prophets and teachers were fasting together with the apostles who were the government of the church or the leadership of the church. In the New Testament, prophets and teachers were not leaders of the church. It was the apostles who were leaders of the church, especially in the church of Jerusalem. So they all fasted. So Jesus said so. When the bridegroom is no longer there, they will fast. You see, if Jesus was around, they, would have, they could have just asked Jesus, Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus would have just told them. But now Jesus is not there. It's no close proximity. In person, but he's there in spirit. And now they are fasting for direction and they receive direction. So Jesus came to talk about the ordinance has changed. You look at the ordinance under the Old Testament and the ordinance under the New Testament is changed. And that's why Jesus is using the analogy of wines and wineskins. Do you understand? So you can't put old wine into new wineskin. You can't put new wine into old wine skin. So the import of this message is that we have to understand the dispensation we are in and not mix and match dispensations. I know there are some stores who believe in mix and match. Well, Christ does not believe in mix and match. 
Old Testament, leave it for Old Testament practices. New Testament, leave it for New Testament. You can't mix and match because you make it ineffective. You make it ineffective. You can't mix old wine and new wine. You just can't do it. So Jesus is saying that the motive, the purpose of fasting under the Old Testament, it does not really hold under my dispensation. And when you read John chapter 1, you will see the dispensation. The Bible says that the law was given to us by Moses, but grace and truth was given to us by Jesus Christ. So Jesus is talking about motives here. He's not talking about the Christian practice of fasting. The motive, the purpose behind the Christian practice of fasting has changed. Ladies and gentlemen, we fast for different reasons. We fast to discipline the flesh. We fast so that the virtue of self-control, you know, will be extolled because it's a symbol of that. And one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control, you know, denying the flesh. We fast to seek direction. But when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, we are not practicing the Old Testament principle where we will sit down in sackcloth and ashes and we will mourn. Fasting was a time of mourning. It was a time of contrition. You mourn with sackcloth and ashes. And everybody knew you were fasting because you wore sackcloths. But Jesus is saying that now is not the time. The bridegroom is here. It's time for them to rejoice. Amen. So that is the first parable we've looked at. So Jesus is talking about dispensations. For the kingdom of God to take root in us, we have to make sure that we are not mixing and matching dispensations. And for some of us, it's one of the reasons why, even though we claim to be Christians, we are still not experiencing heaven's way of doing things, heaven's culture, because we are mixing and matching and it has no effect. Thank God for the law. Thank God for what the Lord did. But you have to make map your mind. Where do you want to be? Which dispenses? If you want to be under the law, then practice the law. If you want to be under grace, then practice it. You can't mix and match. And that's what Jesus said. Amen. So by this parable, Jesus is introducing to us a new dispensation. There's a new sheriff in town. The Christian practice of fasting is wholesome. The Christian practice of fasting is valid, but the purpose and the dispensations have definitely changed. Amen. There's a changing of God when it comes to the purpose of how it is done. Amen. Do you all understand? I'll end here. I want to take it very slow so that we can all understand. So now we have dealt with the first part of the kingdom takes root. We've looked at dispensations. You can't mix and match dispensations. That's why it's very important for us to read the Bible. It's very important. If there is a time where you cannot be biblically ignorant and biblically illiterate, it's now. Don't mix and match dispensations. And only this doesn't apply to fasting. It applies to a lot of practices. 
you can't mix and match. Because when you do that, you will not experience the full blessing and the full power of a dispensation. Amen. I'm done. Questions or contribution? So one way to understand the parable is to find out, does this parable appear in the Synoptic Gospels? So the parables don't really appear in the Gospels. The Gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So most times the parables, if they will appear, they will appear in a synod in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So try, try and always find out, does it appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If it appears in Mark, does it appear in Matthew and Luke? If it appears in Luke, so try and always find the thread so that when you read the parables, you will be able to have a bigger picture. And then it will, it will help in understanding what Jesus is trying to say. Because reading just one side, you just see one side of it. You see, we saw Matthew's view, we've seen Mark's view, we've seen Luke's view. So now it's able for, for us to put in a bigger picture. You see, when we started Matthew, you would think it's not a parable because it wasn't there. But when we read Luke, we saw that it is a parable. Do you understand? So it, it's important to look at it in a, in a big picture. Amen. I'm done. Did you learn anything today? Do you have any questions? Do you have any contributions? Blessings, 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 family. Okay. Um, yeah, that, thank you, Pastor, for um, that um, introduction. Very powerful. What I started thinking about, um, about parables is um, whether we should be um, using parables now. Um, will it be of any essence? And if, yeah, is it, is, it, is it important for us to copy and paste Jesus' approach Amen. in our day? That's, that's, a, that's a very good question. What's a parable, like we keep on saying? A parable is a story. Fiction or non-fiction to die from a spiritual truth. So I think if you are preaching to people who do not have the Holy Spirit, because the audience Jesus addressed mainly, all of them didn't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have that spiritual capacity and that spiritual intellect to be able to decipher such heavy truth. So he had to give it to them in parables. So I really don't think that Jesus outlawed parables. It's just that what we have to also look at is the context of how the letters were written. Most of the letters that were written were written to churches, not written to unbelievers. So Peter did not see the need to give a parable to the Jews that were scattered. Paul never saw the need to give a parable because he was writing mostly to believers. 
the churches in Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia, were mostly Christians. So he never felt the need to really address spiritual truths like righteousness, justification, and such and such in a parable. But I'm sure if Paul was witnessing mainly to a very mixed audience, like how Jesus' audience were, because mind you, Jesus was not really ministering to a body of believers. Who were a body of believers at that time? He was ministering mainly to people who were under the law. I think he had to give parables. So I wouldn't say the practice of narrating spiritual truths and parables are outlawed. I wouldn't want to say that. Amen. So I think you can still use parables, but I don't think parables are really necessary for the church because we have the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is that clear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. What did you learn tonight? Nobody learns anything. Do we all understand? All right. I think the biggest uh, take home was the parables were more for believers um, so that Jesus can teach them deeper truths because they already believed in him. So he really wanted to bring a deeper kingdom, kingdom truth. And so for our today, uh, we can use them the same in and it, even though they're separate Old Testament, New Testament, but it helps us tie in the Old Testament, especially if we're Gentiles that don't come from, you know, I think that they're beneficial in, in that sense. So that's, that's what I kind of learned today. Okay. Amen. It's eight o'clock. Father, we thank you for what we've learned tonight. We pray that as we go through this study, may your word become alive and real to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you all for attending tonight's Bible study. Um, please do remember that Sunday is daylight savings time clocks spring forward so um, please try and remember that amen clocks spring forward so on this note good night god bless